We're going to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis. I've said this before, but if you don't know where Genesis is, you need some help. Genesis chapter number 37. We're going to be bouncing around the book of Genesis within the story of Joseph as we continue our series, How to Get Your Mojo Back. And specifically, we're picking it up in the teaching on vision steps. Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to begin reading in verse 23. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped him of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and they cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. I want you to help me out this morning. Will you say pit with me? Would you say price? Pit? Price. Genesis 39 verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. Help me out again. Say Potiphar's house. Say practice. Say positioning. Genesis chapter 39 verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside. By the way, be careful never to put yourself in a compromising situation. So many times people will say, Pastor, can, can I meet with you? And sometimes ladies will want to meet with me and I'll say, sure, but somebody else is going to be present at that time. Why? Because people are crazy. People will make up stuff, say all sorts of stuff. Don't put yourself in a compromising position, amen? And none of the men were in the house, so they were alone. And she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and ran outside. He pulled the forest gump, run, forest, run. And it was so that when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Liar, liar, pants on fire. So it was when the master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison, and I love this, but the Lord was with Joseph. Say prison, say price, say positioning. Genesis chapter 41. You're not tired of me reading the word, are you? All right. Genesis 41 verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. 
But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Interesting, though. He showed Pharaoh. He wasn't even a child of God. He wasn't even part of the family God. And he showed Pharaoh what he was about to do. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and as much as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You should be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And then one more verse, Genesis 42, verse 6. Now Joseph was governor of all the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. As we perused the story of Joseph, we noticed three steps that Joseph went through in order to get to the place of where the vision said he would be of his brothers bowing down before him. And those three steps were price, practice, and positioning. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about these three important vision steps because if we are going to get our mojo back, we not only need to know what God's plan for our life is, what his vision for our life is, but we need to know the steps that it's going to require in order for us to achieve or see the vision come to pass. Because just knowing the vision doesn't really do us too much good unless we know how to experience the vision in our lives. And so let's go before the Lord and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, by your grace and by your power, will you minister to each heart individually and uniquely. Would you speak to everyone's soul? Would you help us to be conformed into the image of Christ, we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. As we established a few weeks ago, if we are going to get our mojo back, we must embrace the vision that God has for our lives. And this is more than just drawing a board. This is more than just putting pictures up of all of the personal desires that we have if you look at most people's vision board, it looks like a, uh, a, a dream about becoming one of the rich and famous in the world. It's got, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles on it. It's got, it's got houses. It's got corner offices. It's got all those nice things of life, big vacations and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but, but I contend that that's not really the vision that God ultimately has for our life. That's the byproduct of all of the blessings that God wants to do and give us in our lives, but it's not his vision for our life because vision is deeper than pictures that are simply passions of our flesh. Vision, true vision from God is a picture that is planted on the inside of us that gives us a life map for what God wants to do in our lives. And living by this kind of vision is powerful and is important. There is power in living life through the lens of vision. Power to discern what to do and what not to do. Power on what you should say yes to and what you should say no to. I was talking to a friend the other day and he, he called me up and he invited me to do something with the governor of New York City. And I said, real quick, I just said no. And he, and he, he started to laugh. And he's like, that's why I love you, Frank. I said, what do you mean? He said, because you know how to say no real easy. See, some of the greatest things that you could do is say no to stuff that is not your lane. 
If it's not your lane, don't bother with it. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It doesn't mean that, that somebody who's involved in that particular thing is doing something wrong. But we need to stay in our lane. We need to follow our life map. You need to say yes to the things that align with the picture that God has given you and no to the stuff that doesn't. Otherwise, you'll be running around just wildly and chasing after everything. And if you are, you know, a jack of all trades, you can be a master of none. Vision gives you power, power to focus, to have something to aim for and shoot for so you don't live aimlessly. Power to be pulled toward your destiny and through life's difficulties. Power to see further than your eyes can look. Power to run at God's speed. Power to make a divine difference and maximize your moment on earth instead of living a meaningless existence. Power to walk in provision, protection, and production. Many people don't walk or don't lead a productive life simply because they are not living the vision or the life map that God has for them. But where there is vision, there is provision. Where there is vision, there is production. Where there is vision, there is protection. One of the greatest things that you and I can discover is what God wants us to do and get in that place and go for that and leave everything else aside. Vision is powerful. Helen Keller once said this, the only thing worse than being born without sight is having sight but no vision. Vision is a non-negotiable to living the life that God has planned for us to live. And when it comes to vision for our lives, it comes in pieces, but it's accomplished in steps. In other words, God doesn't give us the full picture of everything he has for us. He gives us a picture of part of what he has for us. And, and, and the reason why he doesn't give us the full picture is because God understands that, that we're going to have a hard enough time accomplishing the portion or the, the little picture that he's given us. And then once he's given us a picture of what he has for us or the place that he wants us to go to, he then causes that to unfold in our lives through steps. We need to take steps toward our vision. And so enter Joseph and his story, and to bring you up to speed, I just want to just recap the first two vision steps. There are nine. We talked about two last time. We said the first one is the planting step. This is where God plants in us a picture of what he has for us. True vision is planted in you. True vision, it's dreamed up, but it's really dropped in. In other words, you you think that you've dreamed it, but if you're a Christian, what's really happened is that God has dropped it there. And we looked at the verse of Scripture in the book of Psalms that says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. He will plant in you desires that will ultimately pull you toward your destiny rather than push you toward your destiny. You might remember that. True vision doesn't push, it pulls. In other words, it doesn't make you, it compels you. It's not something you have to do, but there's this inward drive that says, I want to do it. True vision pulls you. And the reason why it pulls you is because it's planted in you through divine providence. Step two, was processing, the processing step. This is where we decide to say yes to what God has planned for us to do. God needs our yes. He requires our yes. Even when it comes to salvation, God requires our yes. Even though God wants to save us, he can't save us until we say yes to the offer of salvation. The same is true when it comes to vision. 
There's a vision for our life. There's a plan for our life. God has it. We've got to say yes. And this is where we commit and not just consent. Do you remember that from last time? We talked about how consensual things are not always going to produce, matter of fact, very rarely going to produce at the same level as committed things. We talked about consensual things, and I gave just a drastic examples. Consensual things will take you from the bar to the bedroom. But committed things will take you from the honeymoon to the 50th year anniversary. There's a difference between consensual and committed. When all you are is consensual to the things of God, as soon as the commitment becomes too difficult, you book. But when you are committed to the things of God, what happens is you're willing to pay whatever price is necessary to accomplish the plan of God. And that's really the third step, and that's where I want to pick it up from today. The third step is the price step. This is where we come to grips with the cost of carrying the vision that God has called us to. Oftentimes we get excited about the picture that God plants in us because God God is kind of sneaky, sneaky good in a way. God will show us a picture of a, 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 a product that is, is kind of like at a certain stage that excites us. And so for Joseph, he gives him a picture of everybody bowing down before him. You know, you wake up, you have a dream, and... You know, everybody you know is bowing down before you. They're rolling out the red carpet for you. They're, they're treating you like, you know, you are the royal highness or the royal queen or the royal king. And, and you know, and, and, and God tells you that's a real dream. It's not just a fantasy. And so you're excited about that because who doesn't like everybody to treat them in that kind of way, right? And so sometimes we look at, at the, the product or the final place that God has for us, we get excited about that, and we overlook, and look at the story of Joseph, the price that it had to take for him to get from the planted vision to the palace. There, there was a lot of stuff that went on in between those two places. He paid a dear price. He was hated by his family. He was separated from his father and mother. He was beat up and stripped of his robe by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. He was sold into slavery. He lived in a strange country far from home. He was wrongly accused and lied about by Potiphar's wife. He was thrown into prison by Potiphar, who he had been nothing but loyal to. He was forgotten by his friend, the chief butler, not to mention the emotional anguish that goes along with all of those things. There's a price. When we look at the end of Joseph's life, we can become envious but if we backtrack and look at the price, makes us think, would we, would, would we have paid it? Here's what we need to understand, that there aren't any easy elevations or cheap visions. Vision never goes on sale. You can't clip coupons and go in and get it at a discounted rate. Doesn't happen like that. They're not going to email you, you know, a 30% off for vision. It, it doesn't happen like that. Vision doesn't come to pass with laziness. It doesn't come to pass with little effort. It doesn't come to pass by not being prepared. It doesn't come to pass by it being your side hustle. Vision carries with it a high price tag. A high price tag. And this is the second vision villain because when most people get to a price that is uncomfortable for them to pay, they quit on the pursuit of the plan of God. And this is why so few people, 
actually experience the fullness of the plan of God because they're not willing to pay the price because most people are looking for a comfortable life instead of the life that Christ has for them. And so when it comes to either the life that Christ has or the comfortable life, even Christians will choose the comfortable life. That's not to say that the life that God has for us is not a good life because it is a good life, but good is never the goal that God has for us. And so most people quit before they actually experience their vision because the price gets too high. If it's not discounted, if it's not part of a BOGO, if it's not easy, if it requires honing their skills and working overtime, they won't do it. Vision doesn't come by showing up late and leaving early. Vision will get you out of bed early in the morning and keep you up late at night. Vision will not accept part of you, but will demand all of you. It will cause you to get calluses on your hands, push you to the point of exhaustion, require constant course correction, necessitate that you get rid of all of the nonsense. Vision requires you to go all in. Can't have it partially. Doesn't work. Like that. There's a scripture that says, if running with the footman tired you, how will you run with the horses? In other words, if you can't, if you can't go all in when you're here, how do you expect when you're up here? Because anytime you go from here to here, can I just tell you something? The pace must be picked up. You cannot, if you're here, it, 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 you cannot operate at the same speed as when you are down there. So, so if you can, if, if running with the footman, if when you're on this level tires you out, something the Lord ministered to me is He said, stop, stop confessing when you go through difficult things that, that you can't handle it. Because what you're telling me is you're not ready for promotion. Because if you can't handle where you are now, how is it that if I put you here? See, everybody doesn't understand this, but when you go from here to here, guess what? All of the things that you have to deal with don't go less, they go up. It becomes more of a burden and more of a responsibility and more of a challenge on your time and, and more of a stretch on your priorities. And it requires not less, but it requires more. And there are certain people, they get so frustrated with the little things of life. And the Lord told me, he said, stop doing that. Every time you get frustrated down there, you're stopping me from moving you here. And so now I'm just taking a stride. I got it. I can handle it. If God put it in my path... God's got a promise waiting for me in my future. And so we need to understand that vision requires a price. But here's what I've also understood about vision. If it's truly vision from God, if it's God planted, it will help you to crash through all of your quitting points. Vision will pull you past those times when the price seems too high and get you to the place where you're saying, you know what? God's got this. I could make it through this particular thing. There are some people that are being pulled by a dream that is divine that seem to defy what others determine is too high a price. The price you are willing to pay determines the place God will take you to. If you're not willing to pay a high price, expect to stay at a low level. I'm preaching real good this morning. It's, it's, last night it wasn't flowing like this. You might, you might all need this today. You gotta be willing to pay. There are some people that defy 
the price that others are not willing to pay. Joseph was one of those people. The prize attached to the vision was worth the price. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul. And the price that he said, how many of you ever thought, wouldn't it be great to be the Apostle Paul? I would love to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Everybody reading my words for all of eternity. Everybody kind of memorializing me. This is the great Apostle Paul. Do you know the price that he had to pay to be the great Apostle Paul? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Here's what he said. He said, I was in labors more abundant. Somebody said, if I was the boss, I wouldn't have to work as hard. Huh? I was in labors more abundant. I was in stripes above measure. I was in prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews five times, I received 40 stripes minus one. Most of us would have never made it to get hit with stripes. Most of us would have quit on, oh man, this is the third week in a row I've worked 60 hours. I'm done with this. Right? He said, of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Somebody said, well, I get stoned a lot. No, I'm just playing. Um, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I've been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren. Every time I read that, I go, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often. In cold and nakedness, besides the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all of the church. Here's what Paul said. He said, I've got the human stuff to deal with. Did every, you, ever, you ever get around people, they think that the normal stuff is, they're the only ones dealing with it. You know? They come into work like, oh. like it's the beginning of the day, bro. Chill. You ain't seen nothing yet. But they walking into work already all stressed out. Like, you don't know, listen, what? Oh, I had, had to get the kids ready this morning. I had to get the lunch ready this morning. And, and you know, I was so tired. I slept in late. And so, so somebody told me recently, because they were late for something, we asked, well, why are you late? They said, here's what they said. They said, my pillow was calling me. <laughs> Appreciate the honesty. But also, no, you ain't going nowhere. Unless you change, my pillow is calling me. You know, like some people, like just the normal stuff of life stretches them to the max. Take a chill pill. Relax. Hit it in stride. Realize that if you want to go further, you are going to have to learn how to manage just the normal stuff. The apostle Paul said, all this beside the normal stuff. In other words, if you are ready to go where God wants you to go, you got to get the normal stuff down pat. It's got to be second nature in your life. When I think about people willing to pay the price for a dream, pay the price for vision, I think about MLK. His price was to endure racism, discrimination, bus boycotts, 20 unjust arrests, and multiple unfair imprisonments, four assaults, and numerous death threats, and ultimately his life. What kept pulling him through the problems and past the price that would have caused most people to quit on? In his own words, I have a dream. His dream. See, there, there's dream 
power. Some of you are trying to function on willpower. Can I encourage you to start functioning on dream power? Because dream, the dream that God has for you will drive you in a way that nothing else can drive you. Your dream will turn you into something that you never thought you could be. Your dream will cause you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, it says when the Spirit of God was poured out, he said your young men will dream dreams and your old men will see visions. There is power attached to your dream and to your vision that you cannot tap into any other way. Jesus was willing to pay the price because he had a dream. Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Because of the dream, because of the vision, because of where he was going, he was willing to push past the price that was along the way. Here's what I've learned about, that if the enemy can turn up the price, he can stop us from going or progressing toward the vision. Never allow the price tag to cause you to not want to buy something. That was good right there. Some of you are price shoppers. I understand you got to manage your budget right. Right? But, but you know what? If you get into that mindset so much in life, it'll carry over into your spiritual life. And all of a sudden, you'll look at price. Nah, nah, I'm going to pass on that. See, watch this. Next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, but I'm going to say it so it doesn't happen. I'm not going to say it to prophesy it. Okay? Next week is daylight savings time. Mm-hmm. It's almost one of those weeks where I asked one of the associate pastors to preach. Because half the church will be gone. Because they can't deal with losing an hour's sleep. We want revival. No, you don't. What you want is a goosebump. What you want is something that's easy, but you don't really want revival because if you want the revival, you wouldn't be strolling in here late on daylight savings time. Yeah, and listen, nowadays the clocks reset all by themselves. You got no excuse. Oh, I was too tired. I stayed up late last night. Please. Vision's got a price. Are you willing to pay the price? Has God given you a dream? If God's given you a dream, there is power in the dream. Power to push you past the price tag. Step number four. I was getting in your business a little too much. I decided it was time for me to move on. You can only, you can only get in people's business a little bit, you know. People will tolerate you up in their business just a little bit. You get too much in their business, they'll try to find another church. Sorry, I guess that was insulting too. Step number four. Practice. This is where God prepares you and you may not even know it. Vision step, practice. God prepares you and you don't even know God is preparing you. How did God prepare Joseph? Well, first place of preparation was the pit. The pit was preparation for the palace. While he was in the pit, he was practicing how to trust God to get out of an impossible situation. 
When he got thrown into the pit, he was thrown into the pit in order to be left for dead. When he got thrown into the pit, they didn't put a ladder in the pit in order to help him to climb out of the pit. He got thrown into a pit and there was no way out of the pit. In that pit, he had to trust God for how to get out of an impossible situation. Because if he couldn't trust God on how to get into a pit when he wasn't nothing, how was he going to tr- trust God to get out of a pit when he was in the palace and the stakes were higher? Because if you think that impossible situations are impossible when you don't have responsibility, wait until God gives you responsibility to see how impossible circumstances look. The pit was practice. God changed the plan, by the way. The brother's plan was throw him in the pit and leave him to die. But I believe that Joseph believed God in the pit and God changed the plan. And the plan became the brothers, one brother talked to the other brothers to talk them out of leaving him for dead and selling him into slavery. And so what looked like a curse being sold into slavery was actually a blessing because the slavery in this particular case was Joseph's exit out of the pit and back into life again. Sometimes the way that God blesses you doesn't even look like a blessing, but God is changing the plans. Maybe the enemy had an assignment on your life in order to kill you And so what looked like a a way out that wasn't too nice at least was a way out. How many of you know sometimes you got to count your blessings, name them one by one, even if they don't look like blessings? It was practice. Practice to believe God to get out of the impossible. In the pit, God was preparing him for loneliness. Because... Because when he was in the pit, nobody was keeping him company. Say, why would God have to prepare him for loneliness? Because when you are in high-level leadership, listen to me, it's a lonely place. You have a lot of acquaintances, but, but you don't necessarily always have a lot of friends. When, when you're in a high-level leadership, you, you sometimes don't know who your enemies and, and who your friends are because people want to be in relationship with you, not because they want to be in relationship with you, but because they want something from you. And so Joseph had to get prepared when he was nothing for the palace, when he would be something. Because when he got to the palace, he'd have certain responsibilities and he'd know certain things that he wouldn't be able to just tell everybody. He would have to learn how to keep some stuff to himself and how to process through some things without the input of other people. And so he had to learn how to deal with the loneliness of leadership. Because everybody that is lower than leadership always thinks that they know more than leadership. I've said this to you before. And they act like they're smarter. You know, well, I don't understand why you just don't do it this way. Like that, it's just so simple. It's just so easy. Because they don't know how how this affects that. And how this decision triggers a domino on this decision. And now that decision triggers a domino on to them. See, people who aren't here think down here. They don't think up here. They don't have the advantage of a higher perspective on the situation. So they live in a bubble and they think that the only thing in that bubble is what they can see. And so Joseph had to get prepared in the pit for the loneliness of leadership. The pit was also a preparation of him living without for a season. Remember what the scripture said? It said they threw him in the pit and there was no water there. Kind of an odd 
thing to say, right? Like, why do we need to know that? If they threw him in to die, who cares whether there was water there or not? All the water would have done is prolonged his life for a little time, but he still would have died anyway. But the Bible's emphatic, but there was no water there. I asked the Lord about this. I said, God, why'd you tell us that detail? He said, because I had to prepare him to go through a season of drought because he would eventually lead through seven years of famine. And if he didn't know how to live through a couple of days of a drought, how would he know how to live through seven years and lead through seven years of a famine? Do you see that even though Joseph didn't know he was being prepared, even in the pit he was being prepared, I don't know what you may be going through right now, but can I tell you something? Even though God may not have designed for you to be in the place that you're in, God didn't throw Joseph in the pit as brothers did, but God said, while you're in the pit. I'm going to change the plan and get you out, but I'm also going to redeem the time to prepare you for the palace. God's preparing you through practice in the pit. He learned how to live without his coat. So what are you talking about, pastor? You remember what the scripture said? It said they they stripped him of his tunic, the one of many colors, and then threw him into the pit. Say, what in the world does that mean? In order to see the vision God has given you come to pass, you cannot just look the part on the outside. You have to be the part on the inside. You can't just dress up to look the part. You can't just put on a facade to give the impression that you are the part. I remember years ago when I was like, I don't know, 17, 18, my friends and I decided to go on our first skiing trip. Now, I've always been an athlete. Back then, I was a serious athlete, played sports and always picked it up easy. I still have exceptional coordination. And so I thought to myself, this is going to be easy. We're skiing, big deal. So I went out, and I got all of the latest and greatest ski stuff. I mean, nice, psychedelic purple and, and, and neon yellow, I mean, and, and, and I had the, the matching jacket with the matching pants and the matching gloves and the matching ski mask and the matching goggles. And, 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 and when I walked out on those ski slopes, you, you would have thought by my costume, you would have thought by the way that I was dressed up that I was a ski instructor. I had never even been on a ski before in my entire life. I said, how hard can this be? And so, you know, they, they recommend that you go, you know, to the, to the bunny slope and you, you know, take a couple of trials down the bunny slope. And I'm like, look at them people on the bunny slope. They're uncoordinated, falling over themselves. I said, that ain't me. The bunny slope is not for me. I said, let's hit the big slope right off the bat. Look in the park. Dressing up on the outside. Got on the ski lift. It's time to get off the ski lift. I fell getting off the ski lift. I like, come on. I was like, that must have been, you know, something. I don't know. Maybe my ski got caught or something. I said, let's try it again. It took me like a hundred times to get off the ski lift without falling. I'm like, what's going on here? And then you get up to the top, and the only way that I could get down the mountain was to just fall on purpose because I couldn't stop. I didn't know how to turn. I didn't know how to maneuver. It was crazy. But I looked the 
part. Can I tell you something? God can't bless who you pretend to be. If you're not prepared for it, God can't put you in the place for it. And so guess what God had to do? God had to allow for Joseph to be stripped of the coat that said he was important. Even though someday he would wear a robe that would distinguish him as a prime minister, he had to get prepared to actually be what he purported to be. And there are too many in the body of Christ who are acting the part, but you have not been prepared for it. David was about to go out and fight Goliath. You remember that? He went in to see Saul, convinced Saul to let him go. And Saul said, okay, before you go, here, let me at least give you my costume. David tried it on. What did he say? He said, I I can't go. I haven't tested these. Modern day translation, this ain't me. I'm, I'm not the guy that has all the armor on. I'm the, I'm the shepherd boy that has perfected my slingshot. I'm good with not being you. I'm fine with who God has made me to be. I don't have to dress up to be a cheap imitation when I am an expensive, one-of-a-kind masterpiece. I trust who God has created me to be. If God has given me a dream, I don't need to dress up to be like you. I could just be me, and me is good enough to get the job done, but I can't be a lazy portion of me. I've got to be a practice portion of me. And so while you were wearing your costume, I was out in the field using my slingshot. I've hit everything that I could hit in the field with that slingshot. I set up targets. I knocked over cans. I hit animals from afar. I got little birds that were hanging on a tree. I hit whatever I could. And you know what? This thing works for me. So I'm not going into battle with your costume. I'm going into battle with God, with that which God has prepared me with and which I have had the opportunity to perfect and practice. If you're not practiced, you will not be prepared. He was being prepared in the pit because God can't bless who I pretend to be, but he will bless who I've practiced and prepared to be. Do you know he wasn't just prepared in the pit because there are certain things that you need to get down, but, but those are only good to get you from pit to the next stop. The next stop was Potiphar's house. He still, listen, some of you think because you've been through a pit, you're ready. You might be ready to make a step forward, but one pit stop. By the way, did you know Whoever masters the pit stops wins the race. You ever watch NASCAR? Any NASCAR fans out there? Craziest thing in the whole world to watch. How could you watch TV the whole time? All you see is zoom, 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 zoom. Are you interested in that? It's like, you know, I mean, come on, please. Maybe it's better in person, you know? But the one thing that intrigues me about, about NASCAR is that all those cars can pretty much go the same speed, Right? Um, the drivers have different levels of talent, but the equipment that they have is pretty much, you know, all capable of winning the race. But there's this one part in NASCAR that, that you have to master. 
And you know what they do in order to master? It's called the pit stop. It's when they come in, they, they change the tires, and they check the equipment, and they make sure the car is running right. And do and you know what they do? They actually practice that and practice that and practice that and practice that against a stopwatch to make sure that they can do it as quickly as possible because those few extra seconds of being well-practiced and therefore being, being uh, efficient is key to them winning the race. And so we have to learn that our, our, our pits are not permanent resting places. They are temporary stopovers that prepare us for the next place. The next place was Potiphar's house. Of all of the people that could have bought Joseph from the gypsies, Potiphar bought him. And when Potiphar bought him, he noticed that Joseph was, was prepared for his position. But he didn't know he had been in a pit getting prepared. And he saw that everything that he did prospered. And so he put him in charge of his estate. Why Potiphar and why Potiphar's estate? Because Potiphar was part of the palace's inner circle. And Potiphar had an estate and he put all his affairs under Joseph's hand. And so Joseph began to get experience at somebody else's expense. It's the best kind of experience you could ever get. You mess up, it don't cost you, it costs them. I remember reading something from the CEO of Southwest, and somebody had made a million-dollar mistake. A million-dollar mistake. And, and they asked him, they said, are you going to fire them? He said, no, I just spent a million dollars training them. See, sometimes you have to realize that, that your, your stops along the way are opportunities for you to practice without paying the price. Now, you shouldn't be sloppy and try to make mistakes because it doesn't cost you anything. You need to realize that sometimes a mistake can be detrimental to where everything is going. But he gives him practice in handling lower-level affairs of the government because if he can't handle a state... Did you hear what I just said? You thought I said... E-S, but I said A-state. If you can't handle a state, if your state ain't doing well, how can you handle the nation? See, sometimes we get caught up in all of the hustle and bustle that we see on the news, and we want to hear this and that. You know what I look at? I look at, how do they do in their state? How's their state doing? Because if they can't manage that, there's no way they are ready for the nation. And so God was preparing him at a lower level so that he would be prepared at the top level. He was also preparing him in Potiphar's house to be able to withstand the character that is required when you step into the place of your calling. Because when nobody was looking, Mrs. P made a pass at Joseph. And Joseph could have said, well, nobody going to see it. So I might as well do it. But here's what he did. He pulled the forest gump and he ran. Because if he couldn't withstand the character test when no eyes were on him, how would he be ready for the character that was required when every eye was on him? You thought I was going to trip. I told you I had great coordination though. <laughs> By the way, these mean something. 
character. He was preparing for what it, for loyalty because he could have caved, but instead of caving, he said, how could I do such, a, such an evil thing to my master? Potiphar has entrusted me, and so I'm going to be loyal to those who I serve. And by being loyal to the people who he served, he was showing or setting himself up for people to be loyal to him when they were serving him. Everything matters on your way up. Some people never go up because they don't understand the process and what it takes. It doesn't really matter when you're under whether you agree or don't agree. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about would you do it different? Who asked you? That is not surround yourself with yes people. But if that's your highest concern when you're serving, you are missing your place of preparation. You are missing out on the bigger things. Anybody can express an opinion, but it takes somebody who understands chain of command in order to serve with a loyal heart. It doesn't matter if it's not sin. Don't worry about it. If it is sin, then say something. See, he was being prepared along the way. And while he was in Potiphar's house, he had a good thing going. He had a good job. He had good pay. He had good influence. He probably had good clothes, good good place to live. He had good everything. And, and, And because he was experiencing so much good, the good had to be short-circuited just for a minute. Because if you get to a place where you're good, you will never pursue what God has for you, which is great. Because here's what happens with most people. Most people's goal in life is to get to a place where they're good. Am I preaching real good? Most people view life as when I just achieve what is good. Let's make no mistake about it. Our Heavenly Father wants us to have good things. But, but our goal is not to achieve a place where we are good. Because if we do that, we will miss out on the great things that God wants us to have. Because once we get to a place where everything is good, why push the envelope and upset the apple cart and risk all the good stuff we have for going further? But when our goal is to accomplish the plan of God for our life, the good that we have is not the goal that we're shooting for. And so we press on to the great things that God has for us. And so he loses the good for a minute. And he lands in his third place of preparation where he really gets practiced and prepared. Can you see Joseph doesn't even know he's being prepared? By this time, he may have also forgotten about the dream. Has anybody ever forgotten about your dream just for a minute? Because you dreamed it when you were like 19, 20, 21. You know, there's actually something called the law of diminishing dreams. It's been studied. And, and they studied younger kids, like in third grade. And they asked them questions like, how many of you want to be president? And they all, how many think you can be president? Who would want to be president? Not me. <laughs> they get to sixth grade, they ask them the same question. It goes down. By the time people are like out of high school, 
And it's not because people don't want to sometimes. It's because people, reality sets in and people don't think they, they can be anymore. Because when you're younger, you dream without limitations. When you're, when you're younger, you dream without all of the real world knowledge that leads you to believe that some things cannot happen. The law of diminishing dreams is that the older you get, usually the more your dreams are destroyed. And so what you have to do is you have to learn how to feed your dreams. And one of the ways you feed your dreams is you spend time in the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, God renews your faith. God renews your hope. God keeps your fire lit. God keeps your perspective in its proper place. God still allows you to believe that with him, nothing is impossible. And so when we get disconnected from the source of our dream, our dream diminishes. And it's a sad fact that even in the church, there is the law of diminishing dreams. Because even in the church, we are not as committed to our relationship with Christ on a daily basis and so what we need in order to feed the dream is usually starved and so Joseph could have very well forgotten about his dream by this point but God moves him again and this time he winds up in prison because of a lie I'm working on a book right now called Sex Lies in the Bible you want to buy it already, don't you? You're like. Because it's amazing how God even works with all of that as the backdrop for our lives. And so he's lied about, he's thrown into prison. And he thinks prison is a bad place, and it is. But that bad place is also a blessed place. Because did you notice what the scripture said about his time in prison? It says, and he was in prison. Did you notice it? It emphatically says this. It says, but the Lord was with him. Does that tweak anybody else's brain like it tweaks my brain? It does, it does a little bit. I mean, from a surface point of view, it makes me kind of think, well, what's the, what's the use? If I'm going to serve God and land in a place that is a bad place, why should I serve God to begin with? And this is where people get all confused about what's happening because God didn't throw him in prison, but because the lie threw him in prison. And I mean, it could have went another way, but, but when he was in prison, God was like, don't worry, I still got you. No matter what they try to do to you, they can't stop what I have for you. That was good right there. I would, I would write that down right there. And so he gets in the prison. He thinks it's a bad place, but it winds up being a blessed place because you know what he does in prison? He practices in prison. In prison, he practices, and he practices his gift. Do you remember the butler and the baker that were Pharaoh's butler and baker? They come into prison, and they have these dreams, and Joseph has gotten to know them, and their dreams are keeping them up, and they don't understand. And Joseph practices his gift of discernment. He practices his gift of interpreting dreams on the butler and the baker when the stakes are low, and he receives the confidence that he needs in order to use his gift when the stakes are going to be high. Had he not practiced in prison, he wouldn't have been perfected for the palace. And he wouldn't have probably been chosen for the palace unless his gift was allowed to practice in the prison. And then in prison, when the butler is motioned or summoned out. Do you remember that? Joseph said, don't forget about me. Tell Pharaoh about me. And he forgets about him for two years. And so in prison, Joseph had to practice forgiveness. 
For forgiving somebody who forgot about him for two years. Why? Because ultimately, in order for the plan of God to come to pass for his life, he would have to forgive his brothers who forgot about him for a lifetime. And if he couldn't forgive the little thing, how would he forgive the big thing? He was practicing in prison. Because one of the things we, we must understand is there is no prime time without practice. Everybody wants prime time. Nobody wants practice. There's no prime minister without a pit in a prison. There's no giant slayer without first killing a lion and a bear. There's no pro bowl without massive amounts of practice time. There is no Pederewski, who is he who's a great pianist, without playing scales on the piano over and over again. Listen to what he said. He said, if I stop playing scales for one day and I play in a concert, I know it. I get by. But I, but I know I wasn't right. Samson, if I, if, I, if I look the wrong way a little bit, I know it. Nobody else might be able to see it because I still got big muscles. I still got good power, but I know it. If I play the scale, if I miss playing the scales one day, I know it. If I stop playing the scales for two days and I play in concert, my coach can tell. God knows it. But then he said this, he said, if I skip three days of scales and I go and do a concert, the world can tell. Because what we want is we want to be prime time without practice. Not trying to draw attention to myself. Do you realize how many times I preach before I preach? I get a kick out of these people who just say, well, you know, I'm just going to pray and believe the Holy Ghost to say whatever I want to say when I get up there and it's going to be good. No, it's not. It's going to be sloppy and a mess. And everybody's going to know that you put no preparation time into it. Why does it got to be either or? Why can't it be practice, practice, prepare, prepare, and still believe the Holy Ghost to make up the difference? Because the Holy Ghost will anoint what you practice and prepare for. But he's not going to anoint your mess. Are you with me? Am I preaching too hard? Do I need to pull this back just a little bit? Practice. There are no NBA All-Stars or MVPs without practice. Kobe one time showed up 5 a.m. and left practice 7 p.m. in high school. Not when he was a pro because you don't become a pro Without putting in the practice time. What, what you, what happens before you hit prime time determines whether you become prime time. He made his high school teammates play him one on one until he hit a hundred. The closest anybody ever got was twelve, a hundred to twelve. Shaq said he used to practice without the ball all the time before everyone else showed up cutting and grunting and motioning like he was dribbling and shooting except there was no ball. How are you going to play? What are you doing when the ball is not in your hand? Determines how you're going to perform when the ball is in your hand. He would count all his made shots in practice and only stop when he hit 400. Do you know how long it takes to hit 400 shots? It takes Pastor Brandon twice as long as it takes me. But, but, 400 shots made. 
on game day, he would do super intense, wor- intense workouts that included suicide push-ups. I was going to show you, but I didn't want to show off. He had Nike shave a few millimeters off the bottom of his shoes in 2008 so he could get a one one hundredth of a second better reaction time. One one hundredth of a second. Any edge that he could get. He iced his knees 20 minutes three times a day and did acupuncture so he wouldn't get hurt. He watched film of himself at halftime of every game. When everybody else was taking a break... When everybody else was changing clothes, when everybody else was trying to look good and make sure their sneakers were right and make sure they didn't have scuff marks on, he was watching film. When everybody else was wet, rested, he was working. He trained four hours a day during the season. He kept teammates after practice to try out new moves on them. He wasn't going to try out a new move in the game because it's game time. You don't try new stuff at game time. You execute the stuff that you've perfected at game time. Are you starting to get a feel for why some people achieve up here and other people Settle for down here. Kobe said, the way I want to be remembered is a person who overachieved. That means I put a lot of work and squeezed every ounce of juice out of this orange that I could. Here's my question for you. Does your orange still have juice in it? Are you, are you pressing? Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, forgetting those things which are behind he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Press, press, press. In the book Outlier, it chronicles what it takes to be great. And it proves that it takes, proves, case studies, that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert, which is 20 hours a week for 10 years. That's what it takes to become an expert. There are some people who are on a 40-hour-a-week clock, and all you're doing is the stuff you have to do. And if all you're doing is the stuff you have to do, you're never practicing for the stuff that you want to do. 20 hours a week for 10 years. In order to see the vision God gave you come to pass, you can't just dress up and look the part. You have to practice and prepare to be the part. And here's the thing. The things God will allow you to go through, which are preparing you, you won't even know that you're practicing. You'll think, what in the world? I want to close with and then make a comment about a, a, a famous film that, where this, was, this principle was put on the big screen. You might remember it. The Karate Kid, check this out. No, ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Fast wash all the car, then wax. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. Wax on, right hand, make a circle. Wax off, left hand, circle. Accomplish in defense. All in the wrist. Wrist up. 
done. Right the circle, left the circle. I learned plenty. I learned how to sand your decks, maybe. I wash your car, paint your house, paint your fence. I learned plenty, right? Uh, not everything is as simple. Daniel-san! What? Come here. Show me sand floor. Sand floor. Sand floor. Now show me wax on, wax off. Wax on, hat. Wax off. Show me paint a fence. Up. Down. Show me paint a house. Side, side. Knock wrist. Side, side. Yes. Show me wax on, wax off. Jack! 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 Show me paint the fence. Face! Face! Death! Death! Show me side to side. Yes! 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 Show me sand on floor. Hat! picture Joseph with me. God, I thought you said I was going to be a prime minister. All I've done is learn how to get out of a pit. All I've done is learn how to take care of somebody else's errands out of this state. All I've learned is how to make it went to, through prison. And God says, child, show me get out of the pit. God says, child, show me Potiphar's estate. God says, child, show me run the prison. Let me make it personal. God says, show me beat the cancer. God says, show me get through divorce. God says, show me overcome addiction. God says, show me pay the bills. God says, show me mend the marriage. God says, show me get up after losing a loved one. God says, show me still standing after an abusive childhood relationship. God says, show me, show me, show me. The devil thought he was, he was getting you. The devil thought he was going to take you out. God said, no, 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 you don't understand. What the devil meant to burn you, I'm going to use to bless you. I'm going to use it to prepare you for the palace that I have for you. Some of you right now are going through some things. You thought it was your permanent place. God said it's your practice field. That's all it is. And this gives me hope. You know why this gives me hope? Because sometimes bad things can feel like a permanent place. I've got to live with this for the rest of my life. Only if you don't see it right. But if you see it as your practice field, you know that it's not the field that you'll ultimately stay on, but, but God's got greener pastures and better things for you. But here's my question for you. Are you willing to pay the price and practice hard enough in everything that God gives you? See, some people miss this because some people think stuff is beneath them and so they refuse to do some things. But my Bible tells me that whatever I do, whatever God has entrusted to me, I don't do it half-heartedly, but I do it as on to the Lord 
Why? Because it's God that I'm, I'm living for. It's the audience of one that I'm living for so that God will see that if I can be trusted in the little things, if I can be trusted when nobody is looking, that I can be trusted when all eyes are on me. If I want the vision that God has for me, I've got to be willing to get prepared for it. God is preparing you right now. Your pit is preparation. Your Potiphar's house is preparation. Your prison is preparation.